0: Friends, before we begin, let me invite you to keep up with all the Tracks for the Journey resources by subscribing to the Tracks Express newsletter. Once a week, I send a wide range of helps for well-being directly to your inbox. The Express has inspiration and insights for spirituality, relationships, ecology, emotional health, and yes, recipes for good food. The easiest way to subscribe is on my website, www.tracks.com. Tracksforthejourney.com. Thanks for listening today. My dad was a power napper. He owned a construction supply business and opened the office at seven each morning. At lunch on most days, he would come home, have a bite to eat and settle into his recliner. After a 20-minute power nap, he returned to his company for a long afternoon of dealing with problem employees, sales, inventory delays, and unpaid invoices. Was my dad lazy, or was he way ahead of his time in dealing with the stress of life? Welcome to this episode of Tracks for the Journey. I'm Larry Payne, your host to explore greater well-being. I use my training as a minister, chaplain, and counselor to explore topics that bring better life. Today's episode is called, Lesson the Stressin'. So let's find out how we can survive a stress-filled world. Before we talk about the answers, we should understand the extent of the problem. Millions of Americans are experiencing chronic stress. Chronic stress is defined as a persistent state of physiological arousal. For example, chronic stress happens when we worry day after day about getting sick from a life-threatening virus, feeling isolated from our social network, having concerns about our jobs, are forced to teach our children at home subjects like algebra, or feel distraught over a civic conflict. Chronic stress, well well, wait, this describes everyone's life over the past year, doesn't it? The idea of chronic stress is a reality with your life and mine today. Now what does this mean for our health? I want you to stay tuned as we explore this important subject. I think most of us can identify with my list of external factors that are filling our lives with stress. But let's dig a little further. What happens to our body and our mind when this stress goes on? When stressed, the body floods with adrenaline, as well as other hormones, making the heart pump faster lungs work harder, and sweat glands activate. This is exactly what we need to happen when there is one sudden stress, like a loud noise waking us up in the night. But all those stress hormones bring troubles if the stress continues on and on and the body stays aroused. The body enters a state called allostatic load, where the hormones keep the body aroused like an engine running at full throttle. The long-term presence of a hormone called cortisol becomes detrimental. Long-term physical effects might include weight gain, heart problems, gastrointestinal distress, elevated blood pressure, sexual dysfunction, or persistent headaches. The weakened immune system also makes us more susceptible to other infections. With sustained anxiety, concentration and memory acuity decline. Anger emerges as we carry a sense of unspecified threat. It doesn't take long for those around us to notice that we're on edge, snappy, easily frustrated, and genuinely unhappy. We get messages from those loved ones that we need to calm down, chill out, or take a vacation. Another response when our hormones are out of balance from stress may be a prevailing sadness that robs us of happiness. We may feel lethargic, hopeless, fatigued all the time, on the verge of tears, or just wanting to stay in bed for hours on end. This is a depressed mood that feels like a black cloud is hovering overhead. In this state, our loved ones lose patience with us, And they tell us to snap out of us, look on the bright side, or point out how much worse it could be. If I've described you, dear listener, in either one of these states, welcome to the club of the chronically stressed. The story of Hannah in the Hebrew Testament is a classic description of depression due to chronic stress. She lived around 1100 BCE. She was childless, the ultimate shame in the Hebrew tribes at that time. In First Samuel, the scriptures record her husband saying to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you so downhearted? These words let us know that the stress she felt from this failure had brought a depressed mood that pushed her to the breaking point. How can we deal with all the stress we feel so we can be healthy in today's world? Modern psychology and traditions of faith point us to some important answers. A helpful message comes from the pages of the New Testament. The book of Philippians was written by the Apostle Paul when he was under house arrest in Rome. That sounds like a stressful situation, doesn't it? Yet in this letter, we find an admonition about anxiety. He wrote, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. His formula for dealing with stress can be distilled into two actions. First, we reduce our emotional response to the problem. Then we enhance a transcendent perspective of trust in the work of God. From these choices, our bodies can relax and our mental state find calmness. It's interesting that this process described so many centuries ago is in line with modern research. Therapy today works to help anxious persons deal with thought patterns and emotions. As I work with clients, I first aid them to acknowledge the feelings— Feelings are so important, they are important information about our internal state, but they are not facts. They are opinions that we hold in our body. These bodily reactions usually come automatically, without any choice on our part. And when that emotion floods across our body, we are wise to accept it for what it is, yet not letting it control us. We need to feel that particular emotion, that bodily response, without self-reproach or condemnation, and then release it. Anxiety, for instance, is a bodily reaction that comes naturally, but being anxious is a choice. For example, most everyone has experienced the body reaction when we hear that a deadly virus is in the community, perhaps even among our friends. We have an automatic tensing of muscles and tightening of the stomach that we call anxiety. But being anxious in a continual state is a choice. We can actually choose to face the danger, seek wisdom to deal with the situation, and find that our bodily reaction, the emotion, begins to de-escalate. The choice is to create thoughts which are rational and realistic about the situation. It's easy, though, for distorted thoughts to mislead us. We might rush to catastrophic conclusions, or we may assume we can read the thoughts of someone else or just focus on all the negative news. In the example of the virus, our thoughts can be distorted by assuming that we will get the virus, go to the hospital, and die. But we can also make a choice. We can choose to learn about the danger of that virus and to act responsibly. We can choose to wear a mask, minimize social contacts, maintain distance, wash our hands, and so forth. In these actions, we are choosing to not be anxious as a state of mind. Going back to the Apostle Paul, his letter reveals that he acknowledged the anxiety, the emotion, the bodily reaction was real. Then he calmed his anxiety by turning to his supporters, fostering his trust in a divine plan, and making a choice to stay active with what he could do. He knew the legal decisions were out of his control. He also knew that God was working in ways that passed his imagination. So he kept on working with his gospel mission as much as he could. He integrated the emotions and realistic thought. I like to express these ideas in a simple mantra. Act on the facts, do less commotion with emotion. You might want to write it down. It could help you. Act on the facts, do less commotion with emotion. our break today, I'd like to describe an app that you can load on your phone to help with your emotional awareness. It's called the Mood Meter. I found this as I read an exciting book entitled Permission to Feel by Dr. Mark Brackett. He and his colleagues at Yale University developed a simple app that can help you better understand your own emotional state, and take actions to improve it. In this simple app, you're invited to choose the way you feel at any given moment and to record it in the app. It's a very simple diagram based in four quadrants, and each of those filled with 25 different words. You choose how you feel, and then discuss what happened and what you can do. In this app, Dr. Brackett provides a very interesting and easy tool to develop the awareness of our emotions. It provides the opportunity to describe those emotions and to build greater insight around the causes that are with them. It also provides some suggestions about how to regulate these feelings. So let me recommend to you the app called the Mood Meter. Now, I don't get any kickbacks from this, but I think you will grow from it. In the last few minutes of our episode today, let me share some practical ways to lessen the impact of stress on our body and our mind. I won't burden you with all the research that supports the power of these actions. You can find the evidence if you're interested. But here are some of the basic building blocks for handling the stress of your life. First, accept your limitations. It's okay to admit you're human. You're not God, all-powerful, or all-knowing. Most of the future is out of your control. And what you're worried about might happen but probably it won't. In the same way, the past is out of your control. You can't change it. Stop the reproach and regret for what has happened. Choose to focus on the now and what you can control. Second, do some exercise. Aerobic exercise releases multiple feel-good chemicals in your brain. Light to moderate walking, yoga, Swimming or biking are just a few of the good things to do. A total of 150 minutes per week is a great goal, but it's even more important to be consistent with even 10 minutes a day. The long-term work of aerobic exercise will help to reduce all of these chemicals that can be so detrimental to our body. Third, practice meditation. Spend a few minutes every day with quiet surroundings, measured breathing, and concentrated attention on the inner person or spiritual insights. This doesn't have to be complicated, and you don't have to twist your body into different positions. But as you do this quiet, concentrated attention and breathing, your body will automatically begin to reduce the elevated hormones that hurt our cells. Calmness can replace worry, and happiness can dislodge depression when we utilize any of the many different types of meditation and prayer. Even just five minutes of slow breathing can calm emotions which may have been stirred up in a crisis at work. These physical actions are vitally important to convince your body the situation is safe and the hormones can return to normal. Fourth, socialize with trusted people. We are social creatures. And isolation is really deadly. Choose to connect with other folks to laugh and to love or to help someone. Even just seeing a smile triggers the good hormones in your own brain. Healthy people are connected people. Fifth, sleep properly. This may be the most neglected aspect of stress reduction. The goal is seven to eight hours of sleep each night. The important steps to achieving this are well-known. Keep a regular schedule, minimize electronics and relax your body an hour before bed, and cut out the extraneous light. By the way, if you snore, you're shortening your lifespan, so get some medical help. You'll feel better, and so will your partner. Good sleep will heal your body and your mind. And then finally, enjoy something. Each of us has some activity that gives us healthy pleasures. Some play sports, some quilt. Some play video games and others dig in their flower beds to find that particular zone where time just seems suspended. Play is essential to children and senior adults alike. We all need to find something that we enjoy and do it. I mentioned Hannah. The Depressed Woman in the Hebrew Testament? The story continues. Her depression lifted when she had a transforming faith experience in worship, hearing the priest predict that God would answer her prayer for a child. The scripture records the change. As it says, Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. We can assume her relief from the stress affected her ovulation, made her more appealing to Elkanah, her husband, and soon little Samuel was running around the tent. You and I live in a stress-filled modern world, but we do have the power to overcome these pressures. I hope you'll use these simple actions to lessen the stress on a path to holistic health. Thank you for joining me on today's episode of Tracks for the Journey. I'm Larry Payne, your host, and I invite you to join me on the Tracks for the Journey Facebook page, or you can email me directly at the address trackspodcast at mail.com. You may also want to read the transcripts of the episodes that are of interest to you. Perhaps there are insights you'd like to retain from those transcripts. Tracks for the Journey is recorded at the Bright Star Studio. All rights reserved. Original music by Jan Bjork through Epidemic Music. The scripture is from the New International Version. Keep tracking on your path to well-being.